All right. Well, welcome back. We are so glad that you are here. I am really privileged to be joined tonight by uh, my good friend and fellow pastor at uh, our Hope West Des Moines campus, Andy Hermans. Everybody say hi, Andy. Yeah, yeah you can Hello, clap everyone. for him. You can welcome him here. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Wait till you hear my answers tonight. That's right. Clap. That's right. Uh, yes. <laughs> many, many, many moons ago when we were just young lads. Oh, uh, back in the day. Boy, way back in the day. Andy Maybe. was on staff here at Hope Des Moines. Uh, and he grew better beards than I did, so I had to let him go. No, that's not true. Uh, Andy's doing amazing things at our West Des Moines campus, and I couldn't think of a better person to have and tag team with me here tonight. When we do a Q&A, you're, you're always going to get those questions that you're kind of sweating up on stage, and I kind of feel like I need to get a new shirt, and that's why Andy's here for all the right. hard ones tonight. So right. I'll just yes. pass those over to him. But um, I just wanted to say a couple of things before we got started uh, tonight. I love that video. Uh, it's just a short little clip, and if you listen to the words, there's, there's a vulnerability there. There's an honesty there that I think is really, uh, it resonates with the kind of church that we want to be. We would not do something like we're doing tonight if we didn't want you to ask questions. There are some times where in our faith we get really worried if we aren't 100% sure. We get really worried if we have questions and if we have doubts and if we have fears. And yet as you look throughout scripture, even with Jesus' own disciples, there was so much room for questions, mm. for doubts, for struggles. Even as Jesus came back from the dead and he is ascending to heaven, it said they worshiped him, but some still doubted. Okay? They just saw a guy walk <laughs> out of the grave and they still doubted. And that always makes me feel better is that if you have questions and if you have doubts, you are welcome here. We don't get to answers without asking questions. And sometimes staying in the question and not having a quick answer is a healthy thing. Unless you're a pastor. Unless course. you're then a pastor, you all, then yeah. we have all the yeah, answers. Sure. Uh, you will find out tonight that, uh, <laughs> that we don't. So we mm. want to encourage you to bring those. So uh, as we're starting out here, the first few questions, it might spark something in you. So we're going to have the ushers just pass around those baskets one more time. Uh, if something hits you, uh, it's, it's never too late uh, to, to get those out. And you specified yeah. we're collecting more questions and not a second offering, right? This is not a second sure offering. Yeah, that's that. right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, we didn't get the count on the offering. We didn't earlier. get enough the first time. Let's pass it around. You know, you're like, what kind All of right. a church is this? Uh, that is not the case. But I want to share with you, just before we get started, a really short passage. This is from what Beth read in our scripture reading for tonight from Isaiah chapter 55. And I think this just sets the table for our time together uh, tonight. So Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. To me, that... Short verse about God's heart, God says, bring it. I'm not intimidated by anything. I'm not scared of anything that you might bring. God says that I want you to seek me. I want you to be in a relationship with me. Skip down to verse 8. This is kind of crazy. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. <laughs> Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Those two passages, those two verses put together, I think, summarize the heart of God. He longs for relationship with us. He longs to be the kind of father that as a child you can run up to and have no fear running up into his lap and asking him anything and crying out to him or celebrating with him or laughing with him. He wants a living, breathing, dynamic relationship with him where we're not afraid to bring him anything, to go to him with confidence. And yet at the same time, God just says, just remember who filled your lungs with breath this morning when you got up. 
Just remember who's holding the galaxies in the palm of his hand right now. There will be questions tonight, I guarantee you, that Andy and I will probably say, I'm not sure. I don't know, and we're not afraid to say that because here's the thing. If we knew all the answers to everything, and if we knew everything, we would be God, or you would be God if you had all the answers, and that would be scary. That would be a bad thing, right? There's a reason we don't know all the answers. It's because this side of of heaven, we live in a broken, imperfect world where we don't know. And sometimes we can get into trouble when we try to make up answers that aren't there. So we're going to do the very best we can tonight to be honest with you, to admit where we have struggles and doubts and where we don't have all the answers, but also we'll do the best we can to point you back to God's word uh, as well. And so that kind of sets the stage. We have probably more questions up here tonight than we are going to have time to get through in the time that we have, but we're going to do the very best we can. And if it feels like we're going fast, that's just because not that the question doesn't deserve more time, it's that we try, want to try to get to as many of your questions as we can. So should we get started? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Say we're ready. ready. All right, <laughs> let's do this. So you Andy, first? you want to take this off one? This is a really important question. It came from an eight-year-old that lives in my household. She handed this to me on my way up. So uh, Start during off the with offering the, song. The heavy hitters. And so. I just, I, yeah, I'm impressed. So yeah. uh, what was Noah's wife name? It's Bible trivia night. Did you, do you know that? Of course. Mrs. Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Noah. So no. I looked it up because yeah, I had good. 30 seconds to do that. We're not going to be able to do it with all of them tonight. But yep. I'm smartphone free tonight, by the way. I thought about just bringing Siri up here with me and then we can take care of all that. But it's not here. It interferes the microphones. But yep. I think it's interesting. Uh, and she's co- I asked her, where did you get this question? She's coloring a, a picture of Noah and the ark. So she just she thought, is. she's thinking about his spouse because we talk about Noah all the time. But what about the ladies, right? Well, it's interesting looking at this, so I kind of looked through it, and they've got the specs of the ark and the story, obviously, and kind of the way that things unfold. Uh, it mentions Noah's wife twice, but never by name. It mentions even their sons uh, by name, but not the wives. And I think that's indicative of the culture uh, that this, this book was written in. So if, if you're new to the Bible understanding or just even a refresher, right, the Bible is a really, really old book. It's also one of the most popular books. Uh, even a couple weeks ago, we had a sermon uh, in our series of this series talking about, can you believe the resurrection happened? Well, a big part of that he quickly gets into, is the Bible trustworthy and how can you believe the Bible? Uh, it's a great question and one that is often wrestled with, but part of the challenge that comes from that, I think, and comes out in this question as well, is we're, this, a lot of things that we read in the scriptures don't make sense to us, or maybe we'll get a little disconnected from what the original author meant when they wrote it, because it's like we have to build this bridge between uh, thousands of years, uh, in some cases, between some of these different documents. There's 66 books, I think it's 40 plus authors, and it's everything from kings to shepherds to rabbis to you name it, a whole shipbuilders, all kinds of people like that. So uh, it's interesting, especially gender-wise, right, when you look at the Old Testament, even New Testament, much different culture than we live in. So we read a lot of different passages and we think, well, that's interesting. I don't like <laughs> that at all. And then when you look at what, how you build that in context, it's really interesting. So right. I think the answer to this question, Gwyneth, talking to you tonight, uh, is that we don't know Noah's wife's name. But I wish I did. There you go. She had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, you are asking really good questions. Uh, we'll... We'll get out of here by about 10.15 tonight. So, um, okay, I hear people say that they heard from God or that God spoke directly to them. I don't know how to hear from God. How do I know if it's him? That is a really, really good question that deserves a sermon series. Uh, but I will do the best that I can. Number one, uh, 
we have to understand and agree upon, I believe, what Scripture says is that God still speaks. God wants to communicate to mm-hmm. us, and he does that in a variety of ways. Sometimes people say that they audibly hear from God. Is that possible? Absolutely. The Bible is full of countless examples of that. But God speaks to us in a variety of ways. God can speak to us through family, through trusted friends, through pastors, through spiritual leaders, uh, through nature. Uh, God speak. God can speak through us as his spirit connects with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Uh, in prayer, God can speak to us. It's not always that, Andy, you should have pizza for dinner tonight. You know, like that's not wow. always... Sometimes people are waiting for that, right? What happened to Saul, you know, when he converted to Paul and that, bo- that big booming voice comes from heaven. If you're waiting for that, that may not come. Scripture also says sometimes God speaks in whispers. God speaks to our conscience. God speaks through a lot of different ways. How do you know if it's God voice, God's voice? I would say, number one, uh, get to know the Bible. When we get to know the Bible, we get to know God's character and his heart. And so if somebody said, you know, I think that I should leave my wife and move to Hawaii and just ditch my family, uh, I would say, ooh, let's, let's look at the Bible for that. You know, some of those are easier. Not all of them are that easy to say, absolutely not, no. Uh, number one, does it line up with the Bible? Does it line up with God's character? Number two, have you asked people around you what they think? Sometimes we, can, uh, we all have blinders. We all have blind spots in our lives where we think we know the right way. But have you ever had somebody come alongside you and say, have you thought about this or have you thought about it a different way? Other people can help us discern the voice of God too. So Bible, does it line up with God's will? Number two, uh, I mean, does it sound like something God would say? Number two, have other people uh, confirmed it? And the third thing I would say, how do I know? Because there was another question here about knowing God's will. And I think knowing God's will and hearing God's voice go hand in hand. I would say, uh, ask yourself, what will be the fruit of this decision? If, if I choose this versus that, play it out and say, is this going to produce the kind of fruit that we want to see from the Holy Spirit? Is it going to produce godliness in me? Is it going to help me become the kind of person that I want to create, uh, that I want to be? Is it going to help my family? Is it going to help my kids? Is it going to help me uh, live out the fruits of the Spirit more? And if not, then maybe I should think about it. So I think when you run it through those maintenance, uh, through the, that <clears throat> matrix, after you do that, here's what I want to say. God longs for a relationship with us. And so there will be times where you will not hear a direct answer. And ultimately, that's God saying, I trust you. I want to be in a relationship with you. You are my sons and daughters. And those of you that are parents tonight, you don't want your kids constantly coming back to you saying, should I, you know, when they're at college, should I take this class or this class? Like, at some point you say, why don't you decide? I trust you as you grow into maturity, and God wants to have a relationship with you after you've done those key things. Anything? I think, that's well, I think a, it's one of the ways he big, grows us, too. Big question. Yeah. Uh, and one of the ways that he, he gets us, I went like this, because I think he says, lean in, lean in, I got yeah. something. Because uh, sometimes I think we're a little too quick to, we're like, oh, why didn't you say anything? And we jump yeah. on to the next thing. Yep. So. Awesome. Well, what advice do you have uh, to be more faith-filled every day? There are a lot of things that I would say about this. Uh, even listening for God's voice and what is God saying to me, uh, trying to answer that question every day, uh, would be huge. One of the other things that, and this is probably a big mark of what, when we talk about walking with God, following Jesus, I think is just a key principle that I wrestle with every single day. And yet as I strive for it, even in my striving for it, I feel like God is constantly developing me and, and growing me. And, and here's the thing, all of us, uh, well, I'll say it this way. When I look at the life of Jesus, when I go through the Gospels and I see the way that Jesus lived, not just what he said, but I see the way that Jesus lived, it was very clear to me he had three 
key priorities. He had three great loves. One was a relationship with his Father in heaven, right? Obviously, Jesus is getting away to pray with people, uh, to pray with his Heavenly Father, to pray by himself. Uh, quiet time, getting away, resting, doing all these things. The other one is a relationship uh, with, with other Christians, right? With his disciples. Jesus didn't need to have a bunch of friends, I think, to support him. I mean, but even God himself, right? Three in one is wired for community. So got a relationship with other people. Uh, and then Jesus also had a relationship with the world around him. I'm thinking about even when uh, they're exhausted and they're coming back, uh, and the crowds just keep, they won't leave Jesus alone, and they're exhausted, and the disciples are like, can we just get out of here, right? And, <laughs> and it talks about, uh, like, sheep without a shepherd, right? He looked at them and had mercy and compassion. He began to teach them many things, right? And, and so what does that mean for you and I? If Jesus had these three great loves with God, with, with other people, and with this world around, other people inside the body of Christ, and people in this world around us, I think to, when I look at that, the way that Jesus lived those out, equal priority to those things, right? Now, sometimes it ebbs and flows. That sounds like up in and out, Andy. Right, right. They're, they're gonna have, you, have you made them do they're the gonna actions start, They're going to start to do this pretty soon, right? yeah. That, it's a, but I think it's, it's easy to talk about having those three relationships, but living those out and equally investing in them, uh, I think is really, really hard. And what's yeah. cool about this, though, the way God has wired us, I think, is if I'm wanting to grow in prayer, half the time the way that God... Will, will help me grow in prayer is by putting me in situations where people are asking me questions I don't know the answer to, like this tonight, maybe, yeah. uh, and where I'm like, God, I need your help, right? Or he'll bring somebody that's completely hurting and broken, and I don't even know what to say, right? And so then, and that, and sometimes um, it's the other way around, where I'll be serving, and I'll just say, God, I don't have the energy or the patience to keep doing this, and that's where I have to go back to him. Uh, and so each of those things feed the other, uh, so I think it's really important to keep balance that. One of the other things I would just say with that is, uh, if your sin is small, uh, then your God is small. And what I mean by that is, if, if you're willing to kind of sweep your brokenness and, and not get specific about the ways where you have fallen short and reminded yourself of your need for grace and love and forgiveness and Jesus on a cross and an empty tomb, uh, it's really easy to fall flat and plateau spiritually. I mean, we, that's one of the disciplines you and I as yep. brothers in Christ have worked out because we even grew up together, so I don't know if you all know that. Uh, but that trust has been built. It's been really helpful for him and I to have each other as people we can be honest about where we're falling short. And then we get to preach the gospel to each other. Yep. Uh, and when you have somebody preaching the gospel at you uh, with love personally, who knows you well, I mean, it fills you with the Spirit. Indeed. Good answer. What do you do when your friend doesn't believe in Jesus? I love this question. I love that we're thinking about that. I love yeah, that we're, right? the fact that you're even asking that question <laughs> is a really good sign uh, because a lot of times the easiest thing for churches to do is to default to the holy huddle, right? I'm here, I'm comfortable, I'm good, and we don't think about that. But one of our values at Hope is that lost people matter to God, and so they matter Boom. to us. And hear me say this, number one, people are people, they're not projects. And the second you treat them like a project, we've lost our way. Jesus never treated people like projects. He never treated people like, I'm going to fix you. <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm change you. Uh, Jesus' number one priority was to love, and therefore ours should be the same. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're a Christian or non-Christian. If anybody, uh, after being with you, feels loved, that's a win, number one. Love builds bridges towards people. And we got to be really careful in the culture that we live in not to burn bridges before we have an opportunity to love. And you've heard that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? 
And that certainly applies. The way that the Bible would talk about that, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 13 after the traditional wedding scripture, love is patient, love is kind, all those things. Uh, he says, the greatest of these is love. And if I don't love, I'm like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And a lot of people, when they're trying to be witnessing or sharing their faith, they end up sounding like a clanging gong or a guy with a blowhorn yelling at you saying turn or burn or those sorts of things. The way we reach our friends is to love them with a love that they cannot deny. The greatest compliment that somebody could give you as a follower of Jesus that, that doesn't know Jesus is, I don't know what it is about you, but I want that. Why do you love me so well? Why do you serve me expecting nothing in return? Why, why, why do you just invite me into your life and, and support me so well and care for me? Why do you do those things? Then you have your open door. Rarely have I seen anybody get argued into the kingdom of God <laughs> or, or Bible bashed into the kingdom of God. There's have you a ever seen that? You said rarely. But uh, a couple times, okay. yeah, where they okay. knocked upside the head. That's really helpful. People respond to yelling well, too, <laughs> I've found. Uh, no, never have I seen anybody get argued okay. into the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Because you are a missionary wherever you go, you are called to live like Jesus wherever you go. And sometimes I have to imagine... What would Jesus do in this situation? He would get to know them. He would listen to their story. He would get to know their hearts. And he would figure out places in their story where the good news makes sense to share. You've all heard the, the famous uh, quote, St. Francis of Assisi, speaking, saying, Speak, uh, share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And I think that's really important doesn't mean that you never share words, though. Some people get hung up on that and like, oh, I just, I could never share my faith. I'm a really private person. Sometimes God is pushing you out of your comfort zone, and in a moment, somebody needs to hear the gospel. If you're sitting in your cubicle next to somebody and they just went through a, a difficult divorce or they just lost uh, their parents or they're going through a difficult time or whatever, say, can I pray for you after you develop that relationship with them that they know how much you care. Uh, remind them of who they are that they are loved, that they're not alone in this, that God has a plan for their life. You'll know when it's time to share, but more often than not, it's what we, it's what we do on the way to what we say. So what do you do when your friend doesn't believe in Jesus? Love them like crazy. Pray for them like crazy, because in the end, you cannot change somebody's heart. There's one person in the world that can do that, and that's Jesus. And so we turn to him for that power, and uh, if the Bible is any, any, anything. It is a list of examples of people that you would least expect to be close to God being close to God. People that you would least expect to be changed and have their lives transformed. So if you have somebody in your life that you're like, they're never going to come to church. Maybe you are that person sitting here tonight. Uh, you're evidence of that. God changes lives and don't put anything past what he can do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to piggyback on that, too, because yep. this question says, what's the best way to usher a significant other to church after a lifetime of lukewarm religious experiences uh, mm. and heartbreaking losses? Uh, so I think it's wow. a big part of it, and as you were talking about, uh, Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz, just sums that up, I think, really well, and he just says, I think Christians should be dump trucks, meaning... Not that you're a Mack truck and you're going to run people over, <laughs> right? But what do dump trucks do? They haul something and then they deliver it. And there's no question about, right, there's, there's nothing else. And then they just drive away. Like, it's a very simple, clean process. Yeah. And I guess that image is stuck with me. I mean, I read that book 15 years ago now. 
because uh, I think if love has an agenda, it's not really love. So I, yep. think, I think that's a great way to look at it. I think specifically, though, other ways, practically speaking, to begin to engage people and to talk about this, trust is where it begins. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think uh, just this whole, whole idea of telling your story. So in one of the discipleship classes we teach, we talk about this idea of blessing people, B-L-E-S-S. -S. Uh, begin with prayer, listen, eat, eat meals with people, fellowship, right? Connecting with them, that's my favorite. Uh, and then uh, there's, there's serving, and then there's story. Uh, and I think telling our stories, 1 Peter 3.15 talks about always being ready uh, to explain the hope that you have. That's part of why I think we're doing this tonight is because it's a good reminder even for me and all of us, I think, to wrestle with these questions and always be pursuing a faith that's seeking understanding. Uh, the heartbreaking losses thing as well, I'll just touch on that for a second. I uh, spent some time with people this week in tragedy, absolute tragedy, a parent that lost uh, two parents that lost a two-year-old unexpectedly just they were standing a couple feet there's a bad accident two-year-old gone uh and so they call and say can you send somebody over and you walk in and it's like what on earth do, do i possibly have to say even as a trained pastor right what what do any of us have to say and i think that's really i love these opportunities just to remind us all yeah. right i am sorry for your loss wow i i don't there's nothing that i can say uh, when people tell you things uh, that are sensitive and you don't know what to say, here's one of the best things you can say. I'm so glad you told me. Because what that does is allow the other person to be and to connect and not feel like they have to put on a happy face, anything like that. And, and a lot of times what people go through, right, we carry the consequences and the results. And sometimes we do stuff to ourselves. Sometimes life just does stuff to us waiting for that question to come up. Why do bad things happen as well? But yep. um, I, think, I think that's part of why God gives us community is to walk with each other. And so to create space uh, to be present with people and to be Jesus for them in the loving, kind way uh, is really powerful. And so we carry those consequences for a long period of time. So don't expect people to change. Don't expect even, honestly, when I meet anybody these days, I don't know even half of the story. So if someone's resistant to the church, don't write them off because they didn't accept your invitation to come eat barbecue out here, although that's very tempting. That's why I'm here tonight, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, but understand, what if people have been abused? What if the church has treated them like they yeah. didn't matter and, and they saw the pastor say one thing from the stage and live completely different, right? We don't know people's stories, and so I think this question's powerful. Uh, get to know them is what yeah. that comes back to. And I'll, you mentioned that. I'll play off of that. We'll stay kind of uh, with the heavy stuff, and then we'll lighten it up. Mm -hmm. I got a good one. <laughs> uh, so uh, piggybacking off what Andy said, somebody wrote, I struggle with uh, people's sometimes common response to tra tragic events where you hear people say everything happens for a reason or mm -hmm. other statements suggesting that a, an event was God's will. Uh, while I understand that the response is a useful coping mechanism, that's partially true, uh, for pain and tragedy, it is hard uh, to imagine a God that would attend mm -hmm. or allow horrific events uh, we see on the news. Um, also, that response seems to remove the individual decision-making that is predetermined, uh, and then they kind of go on from there. So, uh, again, this question deserves uh, a lot of responses, but here is what I would say. In Andy's situation today, when he is uh, talking to parents that just lost a child, the last thing that I would say is everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. 
Don't see. Uh, don't say heaven needed one more fill in the God blank. God didn't right? need them more than mom and dad did. Right. Uh, we're parents. We're dads. That's the last thing I would want to hear. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to give me a big old hug and let me cry on their shoulder, and say, "I have, I have no idea why that happened. Mm-hmm. Whether it's that situation or any other situation. When we try to have the answers, and I know that so many of you." Uh, Maybe and like myself, I've all stumbled over. We've stumbled over our words. I've been in hospital rooms and not known what to say, and I and make something up. And so there's grace there. We're Lutherans, so there's plenty of grace when you say the wrong thing. So I don't want you to feel like you're walking on eggshells. Sometimes the most caring thing that you can say for somebody is, "I am so sorry. I'm here. I'm with you. We're going to walk through this uh, together." Uh, God does not intend for evil. I really believe that. That there is something very specific about the character of God that um, in our fallen, broken world, there is, there is free will and there is our ability to walk away from God and people do things that we will never understand. And that's why you see the things on the news that you see. And at the same time, God is putting the world back together. And so sometimes even though there aren't answers, that doesn't mean we don't have hope. And so you can have hope right in the middle of despair. And people say, where is God when we're hurting? Where is God when I'm in pain? Where is God when this terrible thing happened on the news? Mm-hmm. My answer is right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I know. He's right in the middle of the pain. He's right in the middle of the mess. And if you ever doubt that God is separate or existent from that, he doesn't understand what you're going through, that's why we have a giant cross in the front of our church. Mm-hmm. Because God the Father knows what it's like to lose a child. Like the most horrible pain you could ever go through. To lose somebody close to you and to watch him get, uh, to get executed. God knows our pain. He's walked in our shoes and that's why we can have hope in him. So is it God's will that terrible things happen? No. But inside of that uh, complex understanding of who God is and that he wants a relationship with us, he doesn't want a world that's wound up and then just runs itself, and there's no living, breathing relationship. We have a soul. We have souls. We are created in the image of God for a relationship with him, and that means that there is a chance, a risk, that we will turn and go our own way. And so we cling to hope, and we cling to the cross, knowing that whether it's a two-year-old or whether it's something that's happening with ISIS or halfway around the world or anywhere in between, death is not the end of the story and your pain is not the end of the story and there are countless examples of how God, although he doesn't intend things, can redeem the hurt and the brokenness and the pain that's in our lives and use that for his good and for his glory and he can bring beauty from ashes and he can bring beautiful things out of some of the most difficult things uh, Mm -hmm. in our life. That's all I have to say about that for now. Yeah, I think... think one of the other things I would just say about that is it's interesting to me sometimes the questions that we bring and, and the silence that the Bible has on it. So yeah. when I look at the why question, why do bad things happen, that's what's interesting. The Bible is pretty much silent. It doesn't, really, it doesn't really feel like that's what we need to be wrestling with and finding answers in. It's, yeah. The Bible won't tell you why bad things happen. The Bible will spend almost its entirety telling you what God's going to do about it. Yeah. Uh, so He's on a mission. Powerful thing Can I that. just follow that up? Because that was heavy. Was. Does, does, God, <laughs> does God have a sense of humor? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Who do you think? I, I just love that question because like when we laugh, when we giggle, yeah. uh, 
somebody created that, right? And if we had everybody laugh right now, we'd hear I have a whole bunch of different giggles. Cackles. Like, and, cackles. Yeah. Some of you, just the oddest laughs ever. Uh, and I get to hear that. Uh, Including mine. Once a year yeah. when I tell a joke that's funny, people laugh. God created all of us with a sense of humor. That came from somewhere. And so that has to, we're made in the image of God. He's the author of life and the author of, of joy and laughter and jokes. And yeah, I think God laughs a lot. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. At us and with us. Yeah. Sometimes. How, how are Lutherans different than other Christians? Potlucks. That's what I was going to say. That's my way How are Lutherans that. different? Right. Yeah. Lutherans different than other Color Christians. Color of jello. So, yes. Color of jello. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great question as well. Uh, and it's a timely question. So this year marks uh, the 500th anniversary of the uh, Reformation, which is really one of the defining moments of Lutheranism. Uh, Martin Luther, historical figure, if you don't know, 95 Theses really reformed and had set out to reform the Catholic Church because it gotten so disconnected from the grace of God and uh, really, I think, the movement that Jesus had started centuries earlier. Uh, and so he reluctantly, like many leaders, uh, biblically speaking, almost all of them were reluctant uh, and yet found themselves in situations where God was able to do something powerful through him. So Luther stood for things like getting the Bible back into the languages that people could read that it's not what we do, but it's faith alone, uh, in Christ alone, that saves us. Because uh, it had just gotten really complicated. And, and sometimes Lutherans swing too far that way, and I think they would say, well, you don't need to do anything, you know, like you, there's nothing that you can do. Uh, God doesn't care if you grow or not, for example, because we don't ever want to work back to that works righteousness. I, I mean, we have, in American culture especially, we have so much guilt upon us that we don't need to convince people the world is broken or that we're imperfect people. Uh, and sometimes Lutherans, I think, take that too far. Um, but if you go back to even Luther's original documents, I think about the Book of Concord, for example, um, there, there are many paragraphs in this writing of Luther's that talks about uh, faith having power and a response and hmm. changing our lives and, and leading us, uh, you know, to be filled with so much love that we can't help but want to pour that back out. And, and basically Luther's idea is that doesn't, God doesn't need us, right? I mean, we direct that love towards him, of course, but why not channel it to the neighbors around us, right? And, and if you go back to the Good Samaritan, who is your neighbor, Jesus asked, well, it's everybody, right? And so there's this power and this richness that comes through Christian faith that we don't really think of Lutherans very often. I mean, that, we're in a, a Lutheran church, I hope, I feel like, uh, is an exception to the rule, and uh, it's a lot different. But this is, that'd be one of the things that I would talk about of Lutherans. Yeah. And we have really sweet we're gonna, green There's a whole, and, this fall, starting in September, there's a whole sermon series about that. Uh, Con yeah. Confirmation for adults. And we're going to talk about all things Lutheran. It'll be yeah. great. We'll have lots of potlucks and jello. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, I got a really couple quick ones here that, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, why do we not have communion every Sunday? Time constraints, I'm thinking. <laughs> I love when you seek to answer the old question. That, that's awesome. Uh, so when Jesus administered uh, these uh, commands that he gives to us as Lutherans, we believe there's two sacraments, uh, which is a way that God uh, offers his grace to us in a very tangible way. One is uh, baptism and one is holy communion. We practice holy communion at Hope once a month. What Jesus offers his disciples, uh, the bread and the wine, during the Last Supper at the end of the Gospels, he says, as often as you do this, as often as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. You'll notice that Jesus does not say, 
once a week in your church services. Uh, there was no Lutheran church. There was no Catholic church. There was no Orthodox church. There was no Baptist church. Those did not exist. It was simply things that we do to encounter the grace and love of Jesus. And so uh, we believe that we're not bound uh, to that. Uh, there's also something to be said for uh, when you do things again and again and again, sometimes they can become traditionalism. We have nothing against tradition here at Hope, but when it becomes something that... Um, it's a core value. Yeah, that we just we do... Worship a, we worship God, not tradition. When it becomes something that we just do again and again because that's the way we've always done it and not because we're following the lead of Jesus on that, then I think we lose our way. If we determined at some point that the best thing for mission here at Hope Des Moines was to have a traditional service with robes and green hym- the green hymnals that we grew up with uh, and a big old organ up here and I came up in a robe and a collar like you saw Bishop Birkin, if that what was best for mission and could reach people for Jesus, I would do it in a heartbeat. But that's not where we're at right now and that's okay. So we are not tied to that I'm not saying that those who do communion every week, that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's great. The more Jesus, the better. The more grace, the better. Uh, but we are not tied to uh, uh, how often we do that. When Frequency. we do those things, when we gather together, absolutely have communion. Divorce go or politics? It. Where should I go? Divorce or politics? That's two okay. nice, easy ones. I got all how the many easy more, ones. How many more here. are we doing? Uh, we'll do maybe two or three more each. Okay. Yeah. The Bible says that if a person divorces and then remarries, uh, they will be committing adultery thereafter. Uh, will God ever forgive them? Yes. I think divorce is one of those things when you look at Scripture. Again, remember how we started tonight looking at this big gap between the cultures. Uh, you could even think in terms of English today, um, just even in terms of words, we have words that evolve over time. Uh, that maybe, I don't, I'm blanking examples right now, but even 20 years ago, a word would mean something different than it does today. Uh, and so language and ideas and culture are always kind of evolving, and we hear different things and think about them differently over time. Divorce would be one of those things. So historically speaking, especially in first century uh, Jewish life, when, when you think about divorce, uh, you have to be really careful how you read it and how you think about it. Uh, and this is true with a lot of biblical issues, moral issues uh, that we think about in our day and age. There's, there's, there's the moral piece of this. Is it right? Should I do this, right? Or what should we think about this? But the other piece of that is the justice issue, right? So when we think about almost anything that's controversial today in our culture especially, I think we really have to be uh, careful when we read Scripture in terms of when Jesus offered these commands, what, what was really behind uh, his understanding of it? What was his intentions with it? Was, it? was it just a moral piece or was it a justice piece or was it both? I think both of these things are wrapped up in divorce, but I think, I think you can separate them a little bit in terms of the way that you look at this. So, I mean, this Old Testament, divorce, like, not kind, right? Yeah. Uh, New Testament, uh, not so much either, not, but not quite as strong. Divorce, first century life, there was a justice issue connected to it, much different than today. Uh, husbands could divorce their wives uh, with, with, in an instant and completely separate. There was no lawyers and trying to figure out who gets what and, you know, any kind of civil agreement. Uh, but there, it was just cold turkey and it was, right, good luck. Yeah. Like life and death often. Yep. Uh, and so Jesus spoke up about that because that's who Jesus is. Now to say, oh, yeah, it's not a justice issue anymore. It's just a moral issue. Like you can do whatever you want. Absolutely not, right? He talks about relationships and he lays that out for us very much. And and I would even go, when I, a lot of times, and John and I know both do this, when we think about a lot of the 
the ways that God has designed us and the way that we're created to live in relationships, we spend a lot of time in the New Testament, but we also go back to the very beginning, right? God creating Adam and Eve, creating them for relationship with one another in the fullness. I mean, even he says it's one not flesh. good. Yeah. yeah, so two are coming together. You can't, you know, let, let nobody separate that. So I think that there are times and there are reasons where divorce, I don't think it's God's will. And I don't think, uh, I think that we do give in uh, too easily. I think no matter what, divorce is not God's will. I also think though, and we've, I've had some of these in the last month yep. even, right, where despite my passionate attempts to help people figure out ways to pursue health and healing, I mean, even when there's a, abuse involved, right, this, this is unfortunately where things turn. We don't like it. We don't ask for it. I, I mean, but there, that we live in this fallen world, and so we're forced to reconcile yeah. these two things. So it's, it's two sides of the same coin, and right. I, I really believe that God can be against that. It is not his will, and yet there is this just ocean of grace right. on the other side of that. Because you and I have too. both gotten phone calls where people basically want us to say, can I get divorced? Right. right over the phone it's like no 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 like we got to talk about this it's not yeah. it's not that simple <laughs> we're not going to give you that answer over right. the phone i'm telling you that yeah right because a commitment is a commitment right it's not so between we... us and you it's between you and your spouse and, and right. god ultimately so yep, yep. a uh, couple really quick ones uh, really really good questions these two go together which language version of the bible is the easiest to understand great Ooh. question um, at Hope, the ones that we use here that you're free to take anytime is the NLT, the, the New Living Translation. That's a very modern translation, and it's, it's good. We feel like it's a really good translation, but it's a little bit easier to read. It doesn't have the thous and the these and the thous uh, in there that, uh, that some other ones uh, do. I would say no translation of the Bible is bad. <laughs> I would rather have you read any translation than no translation. Uh, there is a very, very modern uh, I wouldn't say translation, paraphrase. but a paraphrase that Eugene Peterson wrote called The Message. Sometimes we'll use that in sermons because it gives you a fresh take on it. Uh, Peterson was not trying to, yes, he's a biblical scholar, but he was not trying to be a word-for-word -word critique and exegesis like some of the, the, uh, the translators of the Bible. We had a professor uh, at Bethel Seminary that was on the, the NIV committee, and it was fascinating to hear her talk about 15 people, like best biblical scholars in the world, she was there sitting around this table saying, should we do this English word or this English word? Because these two words are not in the, in the, in the original Greek or in the original Hebrew. It's just fascinating right. to hear that and to know how much love and energy and that was poured into every single word in that Bible that you hold in front of you. So everyone's a little bit different. If you're just starting out, I would recommend either the, the NIV or the NLT, and both of them have study Bibles that you can buy in any Christian bookstore or Amazon or online, and there's a lot of commentary uh, underneath that. And then piggy, piggybacking uh, with that is where is the best place to start reading the Bible? Um, not Leviticus, I will tell you that. Uh, <laughs> God bless you if you tried starting at the beginning. We've tried to do that before. Start, start at the beginning and read through the whole Bible. And then you get to like Exodus and Leviticus and you're like, ugh, it's like sludging through mud. Um, start with the gospel. Start with yeah. the gospel of John, the gospel of Mark, something uh -huh. like that. Hop into the story. It's action-packed. It's like your favorite TV show. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is doing that. And then once you read a gospel, read Acts yeah. and get to know the early church. The Which book of Acts is like... We're going through it all summer, too. We're going to... It's, it's like... Remember the show 24? I mean, it's just awesome. It's like, <laughs> then this happened, and then this happened, and then Jack Bauer saved the day, and then Jesus did this. I mean, it's just amazing. And so uh, start with the Gospel of John. A really easy acronym, if you want to write this down, is SOAP. Is SOAP. So you start with the scripture, 
You observe is the O, just write down, journal what, what happened. A is for apply, apply it to your life, and P is for pray. God, help me live out what I just read. You can do that in five minutes, and all of us have five minutes uh, And at the West Moines campus, we're working to develop a class that really kind of helps you get yep. into Bible study and regular habits and stuff, and we'll be bringing that to this campus eventually. Yeah. So. Did you have one more you wanted to I do, do, I do. What Uno role mas. should Christians play... Uh, should Christian faith play in politics and the government? So I, I read originally is what role should Christians <laughs> play in politics and the government? Or, or, you know, is that a good thing? Absolutely. Uh, we need to be engaged in politics. What role does our Christian faith play? I don't think it drives us to a particular party. I will tell you that. There are things that I think God loves and God's working on in both parties, right? In other countries, they have many, many parties, right? It's not about a particular party. I think it comes we back We should take to, a quick poll here tonight. Yeah, right. Friday. See where we're at. Honestly, though, my hope would be, and this is a sign yeah. of health when yeah. we're 50-50 or whatever. Where, yes. I mean, right? Because I, even at our leadership conference we're doing this fall, we have the uh, uh, soon-to-be governor and the attorney general not getting along right now, right? Uh, in the news, if you've read that. But they said, yes, like our Christian faith is more important than any political affiliation. Think about that, right? It's bigger than this. If people ask you what your culture is, you should say Christian, Right? We, we, we want to let Christian values dictate our culture, and American comes second underneath that. Our faith should be defining uh, the way that we, not just what we believe or what we stand for, but the way we engage and uh, with one another as we wrestle with it. So there's a huge connection there. I've heard it said that the Jesus who unites us is bigger and stronger than the politics that divide us. Yeah. And I think we got to hang on to that. Uh, because it's not going to get any better. <laughs> Jesus told us that in this world you will have trouble. And as we kind of wrap up tonight, um, you know, I was thinking about this weekend and kind of coming up here and not knowing what questions we're going to get. And man, there's so many good ones. And we want to let you know we're going to use these for future sermons to develop the messages. We're going to write uh, responses to them. We're going to uh, address them in classes and things like that. When we do the, the core class and the alpha class that a lot of you have taken, we encourage you to take those if you haven't. We do Q&A times during those classes, so we encourage you to ask more. If you ever have a question, feel free to reach out to Andy or myself or any of the pastors at Hope. We would love to sit down and talk with you if it needs more than five minutes, which a lot of questions deserve. Um, uh, including some of the ones we did tonight. We're always open to that. So email us, call us, let us know uh, if you have questions or if yours didn't get answered tonight. You know what? Here's the great thing. You should come back tomorrow because it's going to be a completely different sermon. Uh, so you could come back and ask a completely different question. But I also want to say this. There are some of you that are here tonight that are really hurting. There are some of you that are here tonight that are wrestling with questions and you're like, I don't think I'm going to get fulfilled by a Q&A. We get that. God can handle anything that you're going through. And there are some times in our lives where we say, God, there's no way. You ever said that? There's no way that I can get through this. There's no way that I can find peace in this. There's no way that my friend can come to know Jesus. There's no way that my marriage can get put back together. There's no way that I can have that intimacy with my spouse that we once had long ago. There's no way I can have that relationship be built again with my kids, my grown kids, my, my young kids, whatever the situation is in your life, there's no way I can make my this month's rent payment. Wherever you're at tonight, Jesus invites you to seek the Lord while he may be found, as we read from Isaiah tonight. And as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. 
And so we're going to close with a song tonight. And we're just going to sing these words, where there is no way, you make a way. And if you're wrestling with something tonight, if you're struggling with that, I just want to encourage you, make this song your prayer and just release it, surrender it to God and say, God, we don't have all the answers this side of heaven. But even if I don't know the answer, I will trust you still. I don't know why things happen the way they do or why this thing happened to me in the past, but God, would you use that to deepen my trust in you? And God welcomes us up onto his lap like a father and says, you can trust me with these questions and anyone that comes up. So I want to invite you to stand. The band's going to lead us in our final song.